Welcome to the Gorilla Social Work Podcast, your crackerjack clinical insurgents pitting evidence against anecdotes. Felicitations, Gorilla Social Workers. We're stoked to bring you another chit-chat with your hosts, Jeff Optic Scump Moore, and yours faithfully, Mace Warren. Jeff and I are both forensic psychotherapists that specialize in treating clients involved in the criminal justice system. We love sharing our misguided musings with all of you, and we thank you so much for your ongoing listenership. Today, the GSW crew responds to a video made by Candace Owens from the Daily Wire titled, Therapy is Ruining Western Civilization. Candace shares her views on why she thinks therapy is causing people to overshare and become overly sensitive, and the boys give their take on the subject. If you like what you hear, offer to tie the five-star rating shoes. When you kneel down, reach between their legs with your stronger arm, and reach around your back from the same side with your weaker arm, before then lifting the five-star rating up over your shoulder. From this position, fall forward to slam the five-star rating against the ground. And now, on with the show. Yeah, yeah! Gorilla! I push rhymes like weight. I push rhymes like weight. I won't be pushing weight here for a minute, though. Tell the folks why. Dude, so... I love just I love just being a meathead in general. Like I love just thinking you can do stuff that you can't do. You know, like I guess tell your story and then I'll talk about my mental thought process through it and then yeah. what I what I thought and then what I actually saw. Well, there, I mean, there's not much of a story at yeah. all. Um, I I was I got ambitious and and impatient and stubborn, a, a mixture of all three of those. Um, in trying to move a big screen TV that I've been trying to, it's like one of the, it's kind of an older version of Mm -hmm. the big screen TV. It's not new. And, um, and I, uh, I just contacted one of our therapists, the great and wonderful, wonderful Ryan Stokes. And I just asked him if he had a, uh, um, a need for a TV in his office. And he said he did. So I just was going to go drop it off at one of our offices for him. Right. Um, but when I moved it, I, I didn't have any help. And so I thought, um, you know, and not, not that it's your fault. I text you and you were busy obviously. And so I was like, well, I could just do this by myself because in my mind I'm thinking, okay, um, how much could this possibly weigh? And if I can just get a good grip on it, the, the shape of it is irrelevant. I can, I can move this thing. Right. And, uh, so I actually got it, um, Cause in our office we have that flight and then it, there's like that bottom part and then it goes up another flight mm-hmm. to get into our office. So I got it at the first flight, but I had to set it down cause it was slipping and, um, set it down. And even then like looking back on it, I'm just such an idiot. So a guy, a nice guy was, he got out of his car and saw me doing this and he's like, Hey, do you need some help? And I was like, I think I got it. Oh. And, uh, and then I tried to pick it back up. And then when I tried to pick it back up, it sounded like, um, like if you took, you know, those, those, um, 
if you took those, uh, this is what I've, I've come to the conclusion, the, the wrapping bubble paper and then twisted it. And then you hear about, you know, like all these little pops and, uh, and it hurt really bad. Um, and I felt it immediately right in the crick of my elbow. And then, uh, and then I was like, Oh, that's probably nothing. I tried to pick it back up again. My arms like no way, bro. So then I was done. Then I was done and I was like, uh Oh, and I go and luckily there was a group happening at the time. So I was able to, um, you know, get a couple of clients to help me carry this into one of our group rooms and there it lays. And, uh, so that was Saturday. Now, I don't know if this had anything to do with it. I just rode 60 miles on a bike and, um, and I hadn't eaten anything for 26 hours, not one calorie. So there was that too, but I was going to get to eating later as soon as I moved this TV because I was being impatient. Right. I don't know if that had anything to do with it. Couldn't have helped. <laughs> my energy was sapped. And then I, um, so then I, uh, um, after that I was like, okay. And I contacted you immediately because you've torn both of your bicep tendons before. And I sent my doctor a message on, um, you know, the, the app that you can contact your doctor on. And I, and I just was kind of like, cause everything I looked at on every website and maybe I was just seeing things the way I wanted to see them, which was, yeah, all you can do is take, um, you know, anti-inflammatories, and rest and ice, right? So then my doctor called me last night. Um, this would have been Sunday. Um, wait, no, 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 no. Sunday night he called me. So on on Sunday evening. Um, um, so two days ago, and that morning. So the the next morning, I still went and ran ten miles, and then I swam twenty nine hundred yards. Okay, um, with this ruptured bicep tendon that I now know exists. And he, so then he called me Sunday night, which if your doctor calls your house on Sunday night, it was like, it was nine, like nine o'clock too. And he's like, Hey, I'm in the clinic. Tell me about, you know, and he's super cool. Dr. Stephen Sharman shout out. So then I, um, I contacted them, uh, today or no yesterday, Monday. And I just said, Hey, I got to get in. My doctor said I need to get in. So today they confirmed it that, uh, I did rupture my bicep tendon. So it's kind of hanging by a thread. The doctor oh, said, so man. surgery tomorrow at two super cool. Oh, but, man. but I will say though, what, what, this, my, so- my, I'm in the middle of Ironman training and, uh, you know, I have not had a cool Ironman story other than, other than, uh, during one of my Ironmans during the swim, I had bronchitis and couldn't breathe and had to drop out during the swim. <laughs> That's it. Not like our buddy John who like collapsed the lung and finished the damn thing. So now to me, this is just going to be a cool story. I get a, I get a train with a ruptured bicep tendon, but here's the cool thing about this. though, because by the time I'm done and the, the, and the Ironman's over, I'll be getting them gains again back in June. So I'll be good. I'm good. I feel like this is, this Dude, is honestly, I'm not just like, I'm, I'm genuinely impressed that you're not just depressed wreck and that you're looking at it this way. Like, so like you said, I've done it twice mm-hmm. and you know, the, the first time it was a full detachment, the bicep rolled up into my shoulder. It was like a reverse Popeye look. And the, the second time it, it stayed attached. Oh God. The second time it stayed attached kind of. And so that's what I'm guessing kind of what, what you have is yes. this partially ruptured 
And oh yeah. Yeah, the bubble wrap thing. Yep. I used to like try to compare it to maybe like like really sticky Velcro. Mm-hmm. And oh man, I I don't know. It like good on you for actually not just taking your ball and going home, bro. Well, because like, that that it's it's I mean, yours oh, so okay. Now I might be singing a different tune if the doctor told me I wasn't able to run and I wasn't able to keep riding and he told me I could. The only thing I can't do is swim for obvious reasons, right? But um I mean that that's one that I can make up relatively quickly, you know, uh, before when's Iron Man? June. But I've been swimming like crazy already. I mean, I'm fine. So I'm in good shape for it. I'm ready to go. So, and what I figure I'll do is I'll just, on the days that I'm supposed to swim, I'll just do extra runs and extra bikes. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. So, I mean, if I, they told me that, I'd be way more depressed. For you, I understand it because, you know, lifting and jujitsu, that's just how it is. Dude, can you imagine if you're the first time listener, you listen to this, and you're like, these two meat-headed losers like oh, which is totally true yeah. I, I don't mean, think it's just the first time listeners <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, sorry, yeah. yeah the amount of eye rolling that's happening yeah. right now <laughs> yeah they're gonna yeah. rupture their their eye tendons yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh damn yeah I'm, yeah well anyway I, I think it's badass that you're yeah, no, Pushing forward. it'll, it'll work itself yeah. out just fine. So yeah, surgery tomorrow. I was disappointed though, because I have to, I have to cancel my classes tomorrow and I wanted to go teach and I was like, Hey, can I teach after I, and they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, I mean, it's just surgery. I mean, I'll wake up. I'll be all right. You know, I'll get some caffeine in me. I'll, I'll go back to it. And they're like, no, 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 you, you won't be able to function. And I'm like, you don't know who you're talking to. I was like, dude, I am so dumb when I think this. I'm like, I need to not hear what you tell normal patients. I need to hear. I'm special. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just like, you know who you're talking to, (laughs) dude. And they were, they were asked and I, the doctor, he was actually really, he was actually really happy with me because it was like, Hey, can you not prescribe me any opiates? And he's like, kind of taken aback by it. And I was like, Oh yeah. All right. He's like, well, yeah, we kind of want you to take Tylenol. I was like, I just, can I just take Meloxicam? He's all, oh, yeah, that works too. And he's all, do you mean to describe it? I was like, I already got some. I was like, I'll just take that. That's all I need. And I was like, I hate opiates. So he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And then he told me about this, you know, he's, I don't know if he's done, he hasn't done this, I assume, but he's, they've done blind tests where they just give you Tylenol 500s and opiates and um, like people, in terms of pain interpretation will not know the difference huh. if they think they're too. Yeah. I was like, wow, look at you. Okay. I was like, nah, I don't need those opiates. If I go through pain, I feel like I deserve it for being a dumbass trying to carry that. TV it's supposed to myself. teach you a lesson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I did get it far though. Dude, here, here's the thing. So like when you were talking about it, I, I was, I don't know. I don't know why it, it didn't compute because like you told me it was an older, uh, flat screen. Um, but I was still imagining I was thinking of a sizable one, but I was, I was thinking maybe it's like, you know, maybe 40 pounds. And, and then I saw it this morning when I walked in and me was like, what the hell were you thinking, dude? Like, what were you even, I don't even know how you thought you could get your arms around it. That thing was I, huge. I, I, and it wasn't just the flat screen. It had like the big ass back on it. I know. I, know. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what I was thinking either, but uh, you know, 
You win some, yeah. you lose some. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Bird in the hands worth two in the bush. Yeah. So. <laughs> win in Rome. Win in Rome. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. Well, um, so yeah, man, this is this is this podcast topic was your idea, right? So so tell me about it. What what happened here? So I was uh Miss Miss Candace Owens. Is yeah. uh is it Owens or Owen? Owens. Owens. Yeah. Yeah. So Across my feed, I uh, saw a pretty provocative title. It's like, what is it? How Therapy is Ruining Western Civilization. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. yeah How yeah, Therapy yeah. is Ruining Western Civilization. That, I mean, talk about, okay, if you're a therapist, that's some solid clickbait. Yeah. It got yeah. me. You'd want to be like, what? Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so, so yeah, I, I uh, had to listen. And I find myself conflicted as I listen to her points. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there's a uh, definitely some parts I want to push back on that. I, I think maybe I don't, as we get into it, we'll see, but I, I don't think she has a, a fully comprehensive understanding of what happens in, in a therapy office. Uh, she has some stereotypical beliefs and, you know, stereotypes often exist for a reason there's you know a hint mm-hmm. of truth to some of it and mm-hmm. so some of the some of the the trash she's talking on therapy i caught myself reluctantly nodding along but ah, there's some shit in there too that like i i think she's a little off base on. so is this would this be our first official what do they call it a reaction video well we've done a reaction video to a, a documentary yeah but this is a reaction video to is this like a response video that might be the word I don't even. Oh wait, I don't that's know. how dumb I am. I don't even know what yeah, it's called. Yeah, we don't even know what we're doing. Yeah, we're uh, man. Well, I need. To well, not, we're not responding. Like no. if she, if okay, if on. she sees gorilla social, she's never gonna. Work. Well, actually, that'd be amazing if right? she did see it. Yeah, I, Candace, you got to do a response. To Hashtag video, Candace to our Owens. Video. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Candace, please talk crap on us. Yeah, please, trash us. please, yeah. yes. Look, look, look at my face. Okay, <laughs> there's plenty of material. Just there's plenty to make fun of and talk shit about. Get, well, look at this guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, look at us. I'm a ginger. <laughs> I got floppy ears. You can't see it. In there we go. we're worthless yeah. in so many ways. Yeah. So anyway, come at me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to we're going to watch this and uh, we'll at least watch her opening monologue and then respond to it. Right. Right. A couple of points on there. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, let's let's fire this old boy up. Let's see. Let's see what Miss Owens has to say. So I said yesterday to my team that I want to talk about therapy, group therapy, familial therapy, couples therapy, all of it, because I have this idea. A lot of emphasis on the why there. (laughs) (laughs) It's ruining Western civilization. I really do. I think that that is true. Oh, wait. Hell no. Good tagline. Sorry, Candace. More strong. All that and more today coming up on Candace Owens. Oh, too far back. Okay. Sorry, everybody. We'll just hear it from the stop. Come on, stage crew. Yeah, stage crew. So I said yesterday to my team that I want to talk about therapy, group <laughs> therapy, familial therapy, couples therapy, all of it, because I have this idea that it's ruining Western civilization. I really do. I think that that is true. 
No sooner did I say that than did somebody tweet this morning. I'm going to share this tweet with you. They tweeted, men publicly expressing vulnerability is a net negative an ideological cancer to rob you of your inherent strengths and it destabilizes the world. Such people are not to be taken seriously that promote this. In response to this tweet, Gina said, Gina Bontempo says, the very thing that makes men both amazing and attractive is their ability to not be vulnerable in public. Strong, definitely a very strong statement. And some people might think that it's too strong because it's true and people don't like hearing the truth. But there's no question that therapy has rendered not just men weaker, by the way, I would say, but women weaker as well. I think it kind of became a millennial thing. I think we started this trend that it made you brave and it made you strong. If you talked about how not brave and how not strong you are, this is sort of the it's okay to not be okay thing. Something that was thought up probably by some uh, psycho psychology majors and some people that graduated and said, you know what, I've realized it's okay to not be okay. And you sort of feel like people are going into therapy and they're actually becoming worse people, likely because their therapist is telling them that literally everything they do is okay and can be understood, right? As long as you talk about all the bad things that you're doing and all the bad things that you're feeling, then it's all right. It's totally fine. You are a better human being for it. And we know that isn't true. I guess probably the most prime example in recent memory being Prince Harry, who has quite literally uh, sold out his sec. family for. So like that, that is kind of the cliche uh, that, that gets talked about is that, you know, in therapy, it's, you know, express your feelings, talk about your feelings, show vulnerability, uh, you know, uh, vulnerability is strength. And but, by you, the you, way, that word vulnerable and vulnerability, we need to retire that soon. I'm so sick of hearing because that because of word. the overuse. Yes. But anyway, sorry to interrupt. Oh yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> it it's and look, we, and some of that stuff that Miss Owens is kind of talking trash on has come out of my own mouth. You know, I've, I've, uh, you know, a lot of the guys that we work with are rough around the edges and they kind of are, are raised in that old school, you know, suck it up type of type of mentality. And, you know, the, these guys often just bottle stuff up and, mm -hmm. and don't talk about things. And, you know, I've when I when I try to tell them, you know, the, the, the value of like opening up and, you know, expressing your emotions that it, you know, that it can be a relief and it doesn't make them weak. There's often a lot of pushback from these guys. They, they don't want to be seen as weak or a certain way. And so I, I have kind of made the point that Candace is making here uh, that she's, well, that she's, I guess, talking trash on. Um, but at the same time, like this, this is where I, I don't have these thoughts fully fleshed out. And this is kind of what I was wondering with you. Like, do you, do you agree that talking about feelings and expressing vulnerability is a positive thing, male or female? And, and if, if so, like, like exclusively or it, like, do you feel like there's some wiggle room for like moderation or like a time and place or, you know, maybe context, you know, maybe just expressing yourself, just vulnerability, just like to the max 
like I, I'm like vulnerability expression Uber Alice all the time. Right. Right. That's what I'm, yeah. Um, so, uh, so just to the direct question, yes, I do think there is some, some value in expressing emotions and, and being, well, not, not just what well, kind of what we teach about when we're, you know, working with our clients through emotional regulation, right. Is simply admitting I'm experiencing an emotion and then identifying which emotion that is and then choosing an appropriate emotional regulation skill to combat that emotion. Okay. Um, I do think that's important. And the reason why I think it's important is because uh, of uh, I, I'm ill-equipped to deal with the emotion unless I have identified what emotion exactly it is that I'm talking about and which one I'm experiencing and to what degree. So, I mean, how many emotional regulation techniques do we work through with our client, with our clients, 20, 30, somewhere around there? Talking about module four. Right. All of module four. Right. Um, And, and we, we kind of focus on ones that we know inherently will lead to poor behavioral decisions. Okay. So whether it's dealing with anxiety or dealing with anger or dealing with hostility or, you know, or dealing with rejection, failure, right. Um, these are, these are really strong emotions that if a client has a history of managing poorly results in bad behavioral decisions that can hurt him or somebody else or or result in criminal behavior. And that's why I think it's important to identify them. Now, to your second part of your question, yes, I think context is important and time and place is important because ultimately, what do I want a client to do? I want to move them away from emotions and move them into thinking rationally. Okay. I don't want clients making decisions based on emotions. Our emotions are the worst like decision makers of all time. Anybody who's making emotionally based decisions makes horrible decisions. I want clients thinking logically. I want them thinking rationally and I want them thinking in a self-interested way. Okay. That, that doesn't lead to harm to another person, but I can't get them there if the emotions are so dramatic and so overwhelming that it clouds their judgment. And so a time and a place to express that and talk about that doesn't necessarily have to be with a therapist. You know, I I assume, you know, Miss Owens with her significant other, I think she has a husband. um, So it'd be Mrs. Owens, right? That's right. I I don't know. I don't know what to call it. Them's the rules. I don't know what to call anybody anymore. Um, With your significant other or a trusted friend, or if you have a therapist, great. Do that there. Okay. One more thing I really, that I think I agree with her on. I do not like this attitude that all of us are somehow broken in some way and all, you know, like this, it's okay to, to not be okay. Just these, well, you know how I feel about these cliches that don't really add up to anything other than somebody hears this and they can make this noise. Bumper sticker therapy. Yeah, yeah, and and, so, and that's really all it amounts to. It, it it it's not even a full affirmation. It's just somebody nodding and mm, you know that's what happens. People hear that. Mm-hmm, what, mm. Well, what? Why do you think that caught on? Kind of the like almost the glorification of it's it's okay to not be okay. I I don't know. I don't know where. 
I, I don't know why that has been um like how that has any capital behind it like why that would matter and why why that's a necessary component you know certainly i i don't to be like for example um you know i lament all the time <laughs> this supervision training i had to attend and one of the things that they mentioned in there was you know we we all bring our you know, i was i was talking like we all bring our own trauma to the sessions that we do with clients i'm like wait what i was like that that's a bold statement we all bring our own trauma we all i don't know what you first of all i don't know what that means we all bring our own trauma and it's so loose in term in its terminology it's like just one of those things again that it's hard to disagree with because it's so intangible that I don't even know what the counter to that would be. You know what I mean? Yeah, have we all gone through like bad shit in our life? Well, of course we have. We've all gone through bad shit in our lives. I don't know if that means I bring trauma to a therapy session. And 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 also like this, you know, that that um that all therapists should also be seeing a therapist. Like I've heard it's that before too. Thing. Yeah. All? Right. All. The, 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 chill i i don't understand why that would be necessary yeah it it's if if there's an identified need to resolve something or work through something as a therapist it makes a lot of sense to go get help mm-hmm. um there's i mean the, the other cliche that is tired but kind of makes sense is the whole hurt people hurt people thing so there there is benefit to like, if I've got some shit to work out and it's, uh, you know, if a loved one of mine dies and I've got some grief and I'm, I'm dealing with it and it's bleeding out all over mm-hmm. my clients during session, like it's, it's responsible for me to get that worked out, uh, behind the scenes with a therapist of my own, but just kind of this overarching prescription for all therapists to, uh, be in therapy like it implies well what does that even imply i i well have you ever have you ever talked to a therapist before uh-huh like just you and a therapist yeah uh yeah okay like I was, uh, working my way th- so I, I had like a bunch of test anxiety before the freaking clinical exam oh okay yeah yeah and so like <laughs> so i i used to have this thing uh called uh myocardial syncope and that's a thing yeah. Google it, everybody. <laughs> Myocardial syncope. What is it? It's my my heart stops. You, your heart breaks it, when you. My, I, I just get really up. sad and uh, I get vulnerable and then and then I pass out. <laughs> <laughs> you, have, you have a test coming up and, and you're a uh, teacher. I can't take this test. My heart is broken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could get a doctor's note saying that. But but like basically what happens is like. um. If and it like a lot of times the stimulus is something psychological, if it makes me anxious or mm-hmm. if it's something that I've thought about before, mm-hmm. like some kind of shit happens in my head, and like my uh, I like I have like extreme vasodilation, the blood drops out from my hand, boom, out I go. And it, it it's probably happened to me first when I was like five years old. Mm-hmm. In, in the lunch line, which was cool. And then it's probably happened maybe 10 more times throughout my life. So like not super frequent, but like maybe like once every couple of years mm-hmm. and I just pass out. 
And it happened lately? Uh uh-uh. uh. No, oh, okay. the therapy freaking worked, dude. Oh, wow. Yeah, cool. it really did. And it was the, the weirdest. Remember how I was on an NLP kick for a while? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's because of that dude, man. I took a class at the U, but then I also went to this guy named Larry Jacobson. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he still practices, mm-hmm. but yeah, he did. It was kind of like hypnotic, like anxiety reducing things. Like, you know, it'd like calm me down, chill me out. And then he'd give me these like guided imagery things to, to use in my head um, when I was getting myself ramped up. And it it's like the hokiest sound and shit, but it worked, man. Mm. And yeah, so I went to him for like a few sessions just to like deal with that, like, I mean, the, the pre-test anxiety is what got me in there, but it was kind of deal with this weird lifelong thing of me passing out and mild, wildly inconvenient to pass out when you don't have control over it. Yeah. 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 But, but dude, yeah, it, it, it worked. <laughs> I yeah. love it. I was like, yeah, I still pass out maybe once a year, but it's usually because you're not sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's that is such sleep is such a waste of time. Yeah. <laughs> it oh, really man. is it, though. It, dude, I, I love it's like it. like a third of I your was, life, bro. I was talking about this the other day, and I love how people are like, dude, I love sleep. And I'm like, do you? How do you even know you're, you're unconscious? Yeah. How do you even know? You, you know, there's one time when you can enjoy sleep, and, uh-huh. and it's like when you, like, if you wake up to go to the bathroom and then you lay your head down and for like 20 seconds before you fall back to sleep, it, it is, that is nice. That's pleasant. Yeah, that's really nice. That's it. That's mu- that must be what they're referring you to. You don't really like sleep. I mean, and, and really, uh, if four hours of sleep does what eight does, why would you waste those other four? You're leaving money on the table, mm. son. So now my body says things differently, but it's usually just a, re- it's like a hard reset, you know, video game systems, computers yeah, have right. to do that every now and then. Why not the human body? Blow out the Nintendo cartridge. Yeah. Dude, I only see, this is my thought on this. Um, and I mean, I don't, I don't consider myself like super tough or anything, but like I saw a therapist twice and and i don't know in terms of in terms of traumas i feel like mine's a little bit up there I'll, even though i don't look at it as being like traumatic as if i was a victim cuz i cuz I, I i witnessed a murder right so when i was younger um we uh w- you know there was a uh, i was a supervisor of this like independent living home and um as i was coming back to this home you know the kid who had just murdered well had stabbed and mutilated this one of this uh the other staff was running out of the home right and we're like what the fuck you know kid gets in the car he's covered in blood he drives down the street rams into a house and then myself and another staff we go into the house he was there a little bit before me um we go in there and she's in there all messed up her neck's cut there's blood everywhere is horrible right and then and this can you think of anything worse than that actual horror movie and stuff. and you you weren't you like pretty close to her at least knew her like on a friendly like right right yeah. we worked with her right and um he called 911 it seemed really desperate because at the time there was not much we could do they just told us put a towel under her neck the paramedics got there before the police got there. That was a thing in and of itself. I mean, it seemed like it took forever. I have to imagine it was like one minute or so. Everybody was there fast. Um, but the paramedics would even come in the house because they didn't know if we were the ones who did it. Oh, shit. Because we were also covered in blood and stuff like that. And then in come the cops. They beat us up a little bit. Not like bad or anything. But of course, they didn't know either whether or not. For we all were. you knew, you were the dude. Right, right, yeah. right, right. 
And then, uh, and then they leave and, you know, they take her out of there and I'm like, Oh, thank goodness. She's going to get to the hospital. She's going to be okay. Later on, we found out she died. Right. And, and I'm like to myself, like, uh, of course you always get into the likes. Well, what if I could have been there? Should have been yeah. all this other stuff. Right. And I was messed up for like two or three days. Didn't know what I was supposed to do. And, and our boss at the time, super cool. They got some crisis workers there and some of them were therapists they were meaningless to me. They, they, I mean, looking back and, and maybe it was because, I mean, I was just so amped. I didn't know what was going on, but so, they, they were inexperienced. Some of the stuff that they were saying just wouldn't, didn't land with you. Huh? Nah. Okay. And you know who made the difference for me? There's two people who made the difference for me. Neither of them were therapists. So one was my criminal justice teacher. His name was Dr. Wadman. He was, he was super cool. Cause I went and talked to him and he's, he's been through all kinds of stuff, right? He was a chief of police and all this other stuff. And he just told me some of those things. And I, and I, he was telling me how, you know, you can't, you can't let this define yourself. You were exposed way too early to something you shouldn't have been exposed to. And he said some other really cool stuff. And then our friend, Alan, like, and Alan, like he's one of the most unemotional dudes you've ever met in your life. Absolutely. Right? And, and him just. I don't even remember what he said to me, but like he said a couple of things to me and I was, and after that I was like, right as rain. And I really didn't have many problems after that. So I was like, well, yeah, I mean, I feel in the grand scheme of traumas, you know, like I feel like I had something and a therapist did not help me at all. One of my, one of my best friends did and a professor that, you know, I think he passed away. So RIP Dr. Wadman, but, um, he helped me and that. And that, that was the end of it. And I even got really mad too, because, um, I mean, I was super close to it and I didn't want to talk to anybody about that. Cause I didn't want to draw. I've always, um, I've always struggled with taking attention away from, I mean, like her family for heaven's sake, you you're, know, you're feeling like if, <clears throat> if you make your trauma, traumatic reaction known far and wide that it's going to be perceived like you're you're making it about you right i mean i i took a week off of school one week off of school right and i went back to practice and everything and i i remember um there were students that were taking the rest of the semester off that just knew her and i was like well hold on dude i was there bro like come on you know what i mean and, and I guess everybody interprets these things differently. And, and I know I have a heart of darkness, but, but both my, those things are true. <laughs> but my intention was, why would I make this about me when really the people who deserve attention and anybody's emotional, you know, capital to support them is her family. They need that. Why, why would I try to steal any of that? Well, that's where my mind was. No, I get it. Yeah. I, and I mean, You'd probably if if a client of yours was making that argument, you might have different words for him. But this is your internal experience, kind of to the point of vulnerability. You know, like I know how you and Alan talk to each other. It's not. It's it's. Uh, there's definitely not like by any means. Uh, I'm trying to say it without being a dick. Like if like, you yeah, weren't, yeah. Uh, if you didn't it, know that we were friends, you would think we're about to fight. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's, yeah. that is a great way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. But like may, maybe to a level, like, do you, do you remember whatever, whatever that buzzword vulnerability looks like? Like you must've given off something that led Alan to have those right words for you. Oh yeah. 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 Like he, I mean, 
of of course, you know, I was really upset and crying and all that other stuff. Um, just because I didn't know, I did I not asking. know how to think about the situation. Like, and and again, part a big part of me was like, oh, geez, if I just could have, which is such stupid thinking. You know what I mean? But again, these are all emotionally charged thoughts, which we want to move clients out of. You know, right. and having a support what, person. What were those thoughts? The emotionally charged thoughts, like if I had been there. Could I have stopped it, it? Right. If I had been there, would I have gotten in the way of it and tried to, you know? And again, it's just it's just hero shit, like meathead shit. Like, oh yeah, you could stab me, and I could have taken. Right. <laughs> you know, dude, if you're fighting a guy with a knife, what you do is yeah. you slam the knife so and then take it out. I'm like, <laughs> gonna get stabbed. Okay, yeah. what's that dude on uh, Napoleon Dynamite? The the, the Rex Quando. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Stuff like Grab that. Grab my wrist. My other wrist, the other hand, whatever. Yeah. Stuff like that goes goes through your head as if as if you and and maybe I could have, but what nonsensical thinking that that I mean, woulda shoulda coulda, man. Like I mean, I mean, the the tragedy is is that you know, unfortunately, somebody was completely innocent, did nothing wrong, had to lose their life because of probably some other really bad emotionally charged decisions on the perpetrator's end, the murderer's end, right? He he made some really none of that was very logical all based on emotions you know and wrapped up in his own you know uh arousal and whatnot so that's where all that came from and so i I mean i i just honestly and it came back to that this was like um do you remember not too long ago um well i can't well we know the exact time when it was when sandy hook went down and there was a um and there was like a what was it? Uh, um, somebody, I think somebody, one of the victims, um, the families was he graduated from Ben Lomond High School. I I, I I forgot about that. And then what happened was that's right. Were were there was there was a um a mon a fundraising campaign where people went there and set up shop and sold their products right vendors and I was like, dude. Okay, his daughter was killed. His kindergarten daughter was killed. And I get you're giving them the money. I understand. You're also marketing your business. And that's disgusting to me. That's disgusting to me that you marketed your business. I don't. I know you're giving them the money. J- just give them money then. That or, or don't say anything. Just keep walking, okay? Mm. I struggled with that big time. Like, and I was, I wanted to go there and say something because I was mad that yeah. that had happened. Well, is this kind of like to the point here? Is that is, like, are you making the point that that's like a form of emotional grandstanding a bit? I guess I just, I don't know. Like, like, I mean, I don't want this to be about me, obviously, yeah. but I'm saying I, I've, I, I struggle when people take the tragedy of another person and make it about them. I mean, what happened to me in that circumstance pales in comparison to what that poor girl's family was going through. I mean, come on. For like, sure. who, who, what do I matter at that point? You know what I mean? And that really, I mean, nobody said that to me. Nobody's like, what do you matter, pussy? Like, nobody said that, you know, but, and I never thought that. I was just saying, geez, what, who cares about me? And, and, and why should they? And geez, why am I trying to suck up all the emotional energy and attention on this? Which I wasn't trying to do that, but I was like, ugh, that's well, gross. It's icky even no, thinking about it. Dude, okay. So like that might be kind of the time and place that we're talking about here. And that like, even though you were feeling all kinds of horrific things, um, you, you made a decision 
about when and where to open up about it contingent upon other environmental factors. It, it wasn't just a, a free flow belching of emotional energy because you needed to feel that right then and right there. And I, cause I, I think that like what she's talking about might be, might be some of that. Yeah. It's, it's uh, just unmitigated emotional release without concern for time, place, context, Mm -hmm. the impact on other people. And like, in fact, I think that's what she even gets into here. Well, yeah, I I just wanted to circle back around. I, I didn't know if you were going somewhere with, uh, because you were asking me about the therapist I went to. No. Yeah. Well, and I wanted to, I mean, I want to go back to what she said. I, I just say too, like, um, to me, I, I think that that's, that's, that's really tricky. Like, so we've talked about this before trauma, you know, when you think about trauma, I like that metaphor that we found once upon a time that, you know, it, if you're, if your brain is like a factory, it's, it's yeah. job is to take an event that happened in your life and process it and turn it into a memory. That's the factory's job, right? And a trauma, whatever it may be, is simply just an event that's too large for that factory to process and turn into emotion, right? And there's a few different ways of treating that. But my thing is, is like, well, um, if, you know, if everything becomes traumatic, then damn, how can you even function? Like if every, if every, if every event or multiple events in your life are so traumatic, you know, um, then, then how, how are you even able to to cope with those things. And, and is, is somebody trying to convince you that you've been traumatized? That's what I kind of worry about with our field sometimes. Right. How many times have they pulled out an ACEs study, the adverse childhood events checklist and thrown that at you, you know, and this is like a, a standard, a standard training or, mm-hmm. you know, you go to a presentation and everybody hands the ACEs out and I'm like, okay, I know where this is going. And then you answer. I, now I answer it fake because I'm like, this is stupid. And and then they get it and he's like, did you know that everyone in here tested positive for a history of trauma? I'm like, yeah, no shit, yeah. lady. Life sucks sometimes. Okay. Emphasis on the sometimes, right? We've all felt some of those things. That that doesn't mean we're diagnosable with PTSD. So relax. And and it doesn't mean I have any trauma to bring to the table and share with you right now either. Like that that has to be something that's impairing my ability currently. If everything's a trauma, well, then nothing's a trauma, you know? I mean, you got to give credit where credit's due. Something major has to be there to start impacting your life in a way that it impairs you. And not not just the major event by itself, right? It's that second part you just said. This, well, right. The degree to which it impacts right. you. Well, where she goes on this, because I kind of, ch- I think I, I listened to this, but I didn't, I didn't watch this. I wanted to check this yeah, out. Let's we'll see what she has to say here. Money and how did he get there? How did he go from a dashing prince that we all were wondering about to a person that is petty and talking about bridesmaid dresses in his book, taking down his father and his brother and his little niece because she cried over a bridesmaid dress? How did he do this? And how can he do this and actually think that it's okay? Well, therapy. Prince Harry wants us all to know that he's in therapy and it's rendering him a better human being. Here from his own words. It's Prince Harry's therapy that he's sharing with the world. He crosses his arms and taps his hand on his chest while he closes his eyes and moves them back and forth. He's instructed to visualize negative thoughts. The therapy is called EMDR, 
which stands for eye movement, desensitization, this is and reprocessing therapy. Prince Harry is raw and open in this moment, and he says it's the kind of therapy that he has always wanted to try. And since starting it, he's felt calmer and like he's found this new sense of strength. He wants to share that with the world. And that's part of the reason why he's opening up this morning. It's Prince Harry like we've never seen him. The Duke of Sussex is opening up about his life and telling Oprah Winfrey how therapy has helped him get to a better place. Mm. Mm. Eyes, yes. Ah, uh, this makes me a better person somehow. <laughs> I love how that person says, it's Prince Harry Talking like we've never shit. seen him. Side note, it's Prince Harry like we've never wanted to see him. He now seems like a weak man. We all feel that and we understand that. And again, it is not just reserved to him. That's just a recent cultural example. You might even understand this on a personal level. I mean, for me, I had a family member who began going to therapy. She, she was attending therapy. It was couples therapy. And she would tell us that, you know, it was good because they were able to discuss how to better. Okay, hold on a second. So before we get further into that, um, one one thing I was going to say about this. Um, now, uh, our 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 loving friend matt barnes might take issue with this because isn't he like an emdr specialist yeah 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 and so it's like 20 percent of our <laughs> therapists now, now here yeah. i just wanted to i just wanted to say um one thing on this before we continue because um i i think we've talked about this before i don't pretend to know like i know anything about emdr because i don't do it right and i also i it, so the stuff that Prince Harry was doing and sometimes there's lights involved and tapping and stuff like that. Um, those I've always kind of said, Oh, that's witchcraft, you know, but I'm not, I'm saying that very joking tongue in cheek, right? I'm not, I'm not being serious. I know it's not witchcraft and to, to its credit, this is the, um, California evidence-based clearinghouse. So this is a, a clearinghouse that you can look at if, if you, if you, um, wanted to look at, um, the strength of a type of program and look at the evidence behind it, what they've done is they've, they've consolidated all of the research. Okay. And said, Hey, here's how, here's how strong this is. Side note, side note, I searched equestrian therapy and it's not even in this database. I I don't know how much that matters, but you know, I know, uh, moving on. Um, uh, so just to, our audience. <laughs> yeah, they shut it off. Yeah. Eyes rolling again. So just to give you guys an idea of the scale. Okay, so here's the scale. Um, one being well supported, five being concerning and well supported by research evidence means multiple site replication and follow up at least two rigorous randomized control trials with non overlapping analytical samples that were carried out in uh, uh, usual care or practice settings have found the program to be superior to an appropriate comparison program and outcomes specified in the criteria for that particular topic area. In at least one of the RCTs, the program is shown to have a sustained effect at least one year beyond the end of treatment when compared to a control group. The RCTs have been reported in published peer-reviewed literature. Outcome measures must be reliable and valid and administered consistently and accurately across all subjects. Now, that's just kind of the preface. There's more. You guys can feel free to read that to your heart's content. It's saying it's legit. It's legit. So this is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Really quick, um, this is the target population adults like Prince Harry who have experienced trauma and may uh, experience post-traumatic stress disorder 
post-traumatic stress, phobias, and other mental health disorders. EMDR therapy is an eight-phase psychotherapy treatment that was originally designed to alleviate symptoms of trauma. During EMDR trauma processing phases, uh, guided by standardized procedures, the client attends to emotionally disturbing material in brief sequential doses that include the client's beliefs, emotions, and body sensations associated with the traumatic event while simultaneously focusing on external stimulus. Um, And you can go kind of on and on and on. Anyway, this program, according to this evidence-based clearinghouse, was rated a one, which is as supported as you can get. In other words, it is legit. So the um, here's the thing I think people have problems with. It's Prince Harry. Prince. Okay. A lot of people look at this and say, bro, what kind of problems could you possibly have? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I don't know. I don't know what's going on in Prince Harry's life. That's not really a fair take. It isn't. I'm yeah. saying that's why that's why Candace and other people are uh, likely struggling yeah, with this. Sure. It's like, yeah. wait a minute, homie. Like, hold on. You're literally royalty. R- r- yeah, they're looking at him that way. Right. Like, what could you have possibly experienced in your life that requires that, that you have a post-traumatic stress disorder diagnosis and need EMDR in the first place. Side note, he is a ginger. Oh, yeah. It's it's rough growing up no matter your socioeconomic status. That is true. That is true. (laughs) So I again, I don't I don't know. I don't know what his history is like. I have no clue what that guy's gone through. I'm saying that being actual royalty and a multimillionaire and having Netflix deals and being on Inside Edition I think rubs people the wrong way when you're starting to talk about trauma, right? And I here's and to me, again, this goes back to the idea that look, if everything's trauma, then nothing's trauma. What about the people who have had legitimate traumatic experiences, right? And like, I think it gets, I think they get lost in the mix because everything's on the table now, and and nobody who's actually experienced something super dramatic and painful and horrific in their life dessert you know and it's not about spotlight it, it it's about you know um who's appropriate for this type of therapy and who's not you know and so just diagnosing somebody with ptsd and giving them an emdr for who knows what reason which i'm not saying is what happened with prince harry i'm saying that's the perception yeah i think that rubs people the wrong way so it's the putting Everything and anything under the umbrella of trauma uh, for the sake of either diagnosis or treatment or generating a client base or, you know, keeping people coming back. It's like any and all those things. uh, You said not the spotlight, but like in in it metaphorically, it takes the spotlight off of diagnosable, genuine trauma. Yes. And I I don't get the fascination with it either. It it worries me a little bit. And I'll give you three examples, okay? Real quick. So with EMDR or with trauma? Trauma. Okay. Um so I did drug court for six years for um mostly females addicted to heroin. Oh yeah, right? I know when you did that. Uh and pregnant or uh having recently given birth and children taken out of their custody and they're earning their children back. Right. And one of my clients was court ordered into trauma therapy court ordered. Now here's the weird thing about that. She had already completed, um, 
EMDR with a previous therapist prior like to starting drug court. And for all intents and purposes, she resolved all of her trauma. But because she had a history, which was in my assessment, because it's just a history, um, the judge court ordered her into that. Wait, so so you did an assessment. You In your assessment, you picked out the trauma and based on that that that's what the judge based it on right but okay. i made no recommendations for it it was just in your assessment it was just in my assessment and her caseworker read it and then off to the races and later on down the road she was pretty honest with me and she said that having been forced to go in there and talk about it again was worse than it happening in the first place i don't know if i i don't know if that's true that's just what she told me okay and if i'm if i'm believing her um, then being forced by the judicial system right. when you're newly into I abstinence. Yeah. And your kids out of your care and they send you into there and now you have to talk about, you know, she was, she was uh, raped by family members and uh, having to talk about with a bunch of strangers when you'd already in group, when you'd already gone through that legally compelled right. to do that. Right. Otherwise you don't get your kid back. Okay. Uh, she might have a point, dude. Okay. <laughs> Uh, example number two, um, I, I used to be a clinical quality supervisor and I managed a team and, um, there is a, there's a really good evidence-based program, which let me look in this, uh, this clearinghouse, this might help us. It's called, uh, seeking safety, seeking safety. Let's see what this says. Okay. Adult version safety. Okay, rating two, second best, okay, if it's even under EMDR. Oh, wow. Now, seeking safety, um, this is cognitive behavioral, um, present-focused coping skills therapy to help people attain safety from trauma and or substance use. Very CBT because it's present-oriented and it's action-oriented, all focused on coping, right? And there's another one in here uh, that, let me see if it was in here. Um, trim, uh, trauma recovery empowerment, which is three. Okay. So, um, both of them are targeted at trauma. The difference though is, is that trim. Okay. This trauma recovery and empowerment model. So it has less research to support it. Um, seeking safety. We could have, we were doing it two times a week. We could have done it three times a week, but the third one was trim. And so I, now, the more seeking safety, the better. The higher the dose, the better. And the research supports that, right? Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, why are we doing TRAM that has less research on it? And why are we not doing seeking safety that has more research behind it? If we have an option to do three times a week group, why so, not do this? So it's twice a week seeking safety, once a week TRAM. Correct. And TRAM was not being done to fidelity, by the way. So I asked that, and the therapist said something that was really fascinating to me. They said... Well, we really like trim. Like, hold on. You really like trim? You like, like trim. Oh, okay. So not not that this this is benefiting clients. You like trim. You know what the difference between the two is? Trim seeking safety does not allow you to talk about your trauma. It doesn't, because it's CBT. You don't go back and talk about it. You saying the therapists are vicariously 
like feeling like something's happening in session once they get to hear the client disclose it. I wish it was vicariously. I think it's voyeuristic is what I think it is. I think liking list you for whatever reason want to hear somebody else's trauma or trauma porn. Why? If it's unnecessary, why? EMDR requires that you hear the narrative at one point, right? That you're you're going through this and you talk it through and then you're guiding them. Oh, is that so? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I thought it wasn't that way. And Trem does that as well, right? So it's like, well, hold on. Why do you need to hear about their trauma? And here's example number three. We were at a training a week ago and somebody was talking about CBT and not going to name who, but they said CBT does not care about your trauma history. And I've always struggled with that. You've always, you, the clinician has always struggled with that. What about the, the client? Have they always struggled with that? That you, they're not telling you their deepest, darkest secrets about this. CBT has a gargantuan mountain of evidence behind it for treating trauma, but it doesn't care about the history. It cares. And look, for a PTSD diagnosis to happen, and we can say this until the cows, wait, is it till the cows come home? Uh, yeah, that's right. Chickens come home to roost? I think cows. So, okay. Yeah. We can say it yeah. for as long as we need to, scream it from the rooftops. You do need a history. You need an event to have happened to you that fits in this category of trauma. Got it. You also need symptoms, current symptoms, and those symptoms have to be great enough that you have impairment. And if you don't have those three things, then you don't have PTSD. So if you're treating the symptoms and you alleviate the symptoms, now you no longer have impairment. And what does the history even matter? Now, look, in terms of the trauma treatment, yeah, sometimes you need to dig a little bit deeper and maybe some EMDR, some trim is necessary, but why not start at the path of least resistance and see how the client responds before amping it up? Why do you need to hear somebody's trauma history? Like the Why is it dose, necessary? Right. That, like lowest dose of treatment, like whatever yeah. the least invasive. Yeah. Why is. do you need to hear that? I don't get that. Somebody tell me why you need to hear that. Don't you think it's it's because the the therapist feels like they need a foothold on what's happening? Like I, I almost wonder if like therapists maybe have a idealized image of what they're bringing to the table without recognizing that if you're achieving alleviation of symptoms, it, you're, you're, that, that, that's all you need. That's all you need. You, you don't need to. Yeah, I, I do. I think that, I think that the fear is misguidedly, they think that simplifies the work that we do that talking about trauma. Yes. It simplifies the work that we do by simply helping them deal with symptoms and manage symptoms, right? Um, that in addition to, and it's not just symptom management. I mean, we're re, in CBT, we're reframing the way they think about these things, but I don't need to know what happened to them. I never need to know. I think they like the idea of lifetime movies or popular series where you have a therapist and a client and the client's breaking down and telling you, you know, all these horrible things that happen to them. And then after that, there's a breakthrough. They, everybody wants a breakthrough. Have you ever had a breakthrough in a session? I don't think I've ever had a breakthrough. I, I, I'd need that defined. Mine's a slow but, burn is how I define it. Okay. And, and, it, and by the time it happens, I don't even know where, where the bridge was crossed that they started to move into functionville. I don't know where that is. I, I, th- I think that the term breakthrough gets conflated with just a dramatic manifestation of emotion. 
like it, it feels significant to the therapist. Yeah. When the, when the client has a moment and it's not to take away those, those moments, but like, that's not necessarily indicative of, of progress. Right. My counter to that is you are the one who are simplifying our work. This, that I can just measure progress of a client's, of a client's, you know, um, their, their progress through treatment based on the number of tears they shed in my session and that they have a breakthrough moment and then treatment's over. I don't even need it anymore. That seems really simple, like to get a client to get into that position. Right. Like, and, and again, I'm, I'm really leveraging a lot of trust and like, and uh, relationship with them. If I were to do that, I could do it, you know, if I wanted to, but I don't do that to me. It's complex when I walk them through 30 behavior chains, multiple cost benefit analyses, tons of problem solving to get them to the point that, you know, maybe 20 sessions later or something like that, that they're thinking a little bit more clear. That That's way more complex than having a breakthrough. You know what I mean? But I think people like that yeah, romanticized, term for yeah, that romanticized version of therapy, which I just don't think exists. It's just not realistic. And the more you try to do that, I think it's worse for the client. Do you think it maybe has something to do with like that? So there have been times when a client of mine will really open up. It'll be a heavy emotional experience. And I can immediately tell that that, that client is like, I don't know, it's whatever form of like therapeutic alliance or bonding seems to accelerate. Like when you're there for somebody during a tough time, then they seem to, really like latch on in a, in a good way. And like it, it increases their trust. They feel more comfortable with you. Mm-hmm. They were able to talk about something and get, get something off their chest or whatever, whatever we're defining as a breakthrough. But it's, I think it's really just the feel goods that come from being able to connect with somebody emotionally, not necessarily indicative yeah. of change. Yeah, okay. Like it feels good, but you're talking about enhancing the therapeutic relationship, right? I think that is what feels like it feels like change because you have this, this connection in this moment. Mm -hmm. And so like, does it actually lead to objective alleviation of symptoms out there in the real world? Um, Or did it just like you and I had a moment um, you opened up, tears fell, you felt safe. I was, I was of some comfort to you and it, and it felt good. Thus bonding you to me, not necessarily one way or the other, as far as like output out there. Um, I, yes, I, I think that is powerful. Okay. But you, the professional, you, the clinician, you have a responsibility to use that power in a manner that is going to help the client accelerate their emotional well being. So really all you're talking about is trust development there. Okay. Yeah. Think about all we talked about trust before there's kind of, it's kind of a, you have to demonstrate as my therapist trustworthy qualities, right? And then I see those trustworthy qualities, whatever those may be. And then as a result of that, I make myself, sorry for the V word, vulnerable to you, okay? So I share information with you that maybe I haven't shared with other people and yeah. maybe I get teary-eyed in front of you, okay? So now now you could use that to hurt me now. When I say vulnerable, I'm saying you're opening yourself up for 
either this is going to strengthen the relationship or they're going to use it to harm me. Because you, I mean, you could just as easily, if they're saying something to you and they're crying, you go, <laughs> pussy. You yeah. can say something like that to them and fracture the therapeutic relationship completely, right? right? Yeah. And hurt them dr- pretty dramatically if you were to do that, uh-huh. right? Maybe even get into some physical brawl or something. Yeah. Um, and I know you didn't do that. But instead, you harness that and you say, oh, great. Now our trust went from this to this because that's how trust is formed. That's the real, that's how the whole trust bond is formed. Like you're trustworthy. I make myself vulnerable. You take that vulnerability. You don't abuse it. You strengthen the relationship between us. And then we keep doing that on mm-hmm. and up and up and up. And then we become more trustworthy. Then I harness that trust and I say, okay, based on this trust, here's my prescription for you. My prescription for you is um, tell me about how this manifested last week when you got in a fight with your girlfriend and you threw a bottle against the wall. Tell me, tell me what was going through your head. What was the thought process? I don't want to hear about 20 years ago. I don't care about that stuff. Okay. I don't say that. I never have said that to a client ever, by the way, even if that's a life history factor that might have influenced their current lifestyle factors that led to whatever series of events led to him smashing the bottle against the wall. Even if that exists, you don't, need to have that discussion no no to solve the here and now i want to i want to say now look they can incorporate that into a, a discussion about that so if they say well she, you know she said something to me and it just reminded me of um <clears throat> of you know how my mom used to treat me i'm making this up as i go but you know and uh i was thinking i'm never gonna let women talk to me this way and um you know she she deserves to be put in her place and if she keeps this up i'm going to do this that or the other and emotion i'm like okay great all right let's talk about that now tell me what corresponding emotions you had right then they tell me their emotions then i say okay what'd you do well i i pushed her and i threw a bottle against the against the wall and what were the consequences of that well she called the police and okay and and on we go right and then i go back into that i was like oh great 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 we have this full analysis of the situation. Now let's, let's pinpoint where the best point of intervention would have been here. Okay. And then I try to figure that out. Was it situation situational? Was it cognitive? Was it emotional? And then guess what you and I do? You and I, we say, all right, cool. Now look, so we've decided that this was a cognitive one. You need to think a little bit better. What are some replacement thoughts? And then we say, okay, here's a situation that could likely lead into that. How are you going to incorporate this in future things? And then you and I make a plan and then you take it out of my session and incorporate that into your real life. And I never needed to discuss what happened to you in the past. So I'm, I'm, I'm saying to this day, to this day, I have not heard a therapist that has told me that they, they say, you know what? Them not talking about their trauma history really set them back. Them not telling me their whole horrible, you know, uh, knockdown drag out, ooey gooey, you know, every detail about what happened to them. That really made them regress in therapy. Have you ever heard that ever? No, no. Well, are you saying has a therapist uttered those words or at least paraphrased it in that? Well, or did they, or is it always about the therapist? I've almost, I've never, it's always been a therapist saying, I don't like it when my client doesn't talk about trauma. I mean, the, the, yeah, I guess so. I mean, the closest that I think I've come is when people will say this person's closed off, they're walled off. They, you know, they haven't let me in. I've, I've heard therapists say versions mm-hmm. of that. Which I want to say, so what? 
It's not required. If their symptoms reduce and they start being more functional, it's none of your business what happened to them in the past. It is none of your business. You know what? That that actually is a lot of the value I found when I was talking to that Larry Jacobson guy mm-hmm. about that. Like I other than telling the story of when I passed out in the lunch line when I was five, because it's funny. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, other than that, it, it didn't get into any history of mine. Yeah, I, yeah. I, there, there was plenty of nonsense that I've been through growing up that I could have talked about. I, I didn't know, and it was very non-invasive. He, <clears throat> and again, it's a completely different type of therapy. He was, he was just, he was kind of giving me suggestions that I was then creating mental images in my mind, but. I didn't have to say anything. Well, right. Yeah. And, and and again, I mean, I kind of have to know the histories there. So I'm doing an assessment and the client tells me, oh, yeah, I was sexually abused by family members. Uh, that's all I that's it. That's all I need. I don't need to go in depth into no that play by play. No, right. No. And, and I'm just so look, here's what I'd say. If you're a clinician I, I'm uh, and look, I'm not saying this to be critical. I'm, I'm genuinely this is more about clients and not us. Right. This is not. So what I'm saying is, is just check your intention. Okay. I, I, nobody goes into this field trying to hurt clients. I should have led with that, bro. Well, that's, that's what we're saying. Right. It's about check your intention, check your intention. Nobody goes into this field to hurt people. I know that I, I never have believed that. Okay. Do, do some, are there dicks everywhere? Of course, you know, some therapists are, are wildly unethical. I, I understand that, but I think everybody comes in with the best intentions. I, what I would say though, is also check like your reasoning on why you find it necessary to hear a client's trauma history. Why is that necessary? justify that to me clinically as to why it's necessary to move them forward and have you tried a least a less invasive attempt to work on that trauma meaning cognitive behavioral therapy which doesn't care about your history as if that's a bad thing okay like i mean (laughs) imagine you you can go and alleviate your symptoms without having to give them a breakdown of all of your history. I'll, I'll take that all day. Right. Okay. I don't wait. I don't have to tell you my whole life story and all my symptoms will go away. Sign me up, right. dude. You know what I mean? Um, so that's what I would say. And and look, I, I just say, if that's your belief, that's your belief and you need to own that. That may not necessarily translate into what's best for the client. And if, if you're truly, truly invested in the client moving forward, why not? This isn't a criticism against you. This is just an appeal to why not try something like that instead? You know what I mean? Or wait for clients who are significantly bad enough that need that type of therapy because that does exist. There are clients who do need to go through a narrative. Uh, I totally understand. And there's clients that they want to talk about it. Right. Yeah. It should never be, though, ever. Your treatment plan should never, ever be based on because I don't like that therapist centered treatment right because i i don't like that cognitive behavioral therapy doesn't care about your history and that's never set well with me i don't i don't give a shit what doesn't sit well with you you're not the client you're the clinician like that's not your job to care about what sits well with you or not what's best for the client that's the question that's that it just drives me nuts like when those things come up i it needs to be taken seriously that's all that's all i'm asking take right. client care seriously so we'll probably be raked over the coals for that. We will. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> but Candace, give us a shout out, okay? I think are we kind of honored on our side, no? I 
We're not totally against it. Therapy's not ruining Western civilization. No, it's not ruining Western civilization, but the points she was making aren't completely without merit. There's, there's a, Oh, there's some backing to what she's saying. One more thing I would say about this (sighs) is compared to Western, if Western civilization, meaning that we're like a first world, you know, place or whatever, uh, I would imagine, I don't know. Maybe this is another podcast. I just would imagine that the rate of of PTSD, depression, anxiety, all the rest of it in a third world country is incredibly lower than ours, right? I would never, ever change places with those people in a third world country to just not have emotional problems. So if that's our problems that we need to deal with, I don't know if it's ruining us necessarily. I do, I do want to move away from kind of cliches and uh, and and really give help to people who need it the most, not who people who we've somehow convinced that they have a problem. You should never try to convince a client they have a problem. That is not your job. It like com- comes right back to the old school <laughs> social work ethic of start where the client is. <laughs> right, yeah. right, right. So, okay, I feel like this man. You can go on and on about this. Huh? Okay good place to end though i think so okay i look forward to your comments about telling me what a jerk i am um and uh what a nice guy jeff is that seems how it always turns out so (laughs) till next time folks we'll see you then that about does it for this episode of the gorilla social work podcast if you like what you hear offer to tie the five-star rating shoes when you kneel down reach between their legs with your stronger arm and reach around your back from the same side with your weaker arm before then lifting the five-star rating up over your shoulder. From this position, fall forward to slam the five-star rating against the ground. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please help us grow by subscribing and sharing with a friend. We'd like to stay in chat longer, but we're lying. Good night.